I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We're staying late for season eight, eight of The, the Connor and Smith Show. We are going into spooky season with The Shining. Yes, The Shining is the first episode of Spooky Season. We're going to have many more movies to talk to you about and other things. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. And before we are right back, thank you to our Patreon sponsors. Please join us on Patreon. You can find the link in the podcast notes. We will be again, Matt Connor, right right back. back. Right, so 1980s, The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, is uh, our first kickoff spooky season podcast subject. Ooh, put on your sweater and button up. Um, Matthew, is this the first time you'd seen the film? Yeah, I think, didn't you think it was about a shoe shiner? I thought it was about a shoe shiner. I have seen... Almost the entire film in different clips, snippets, uh, but I've I'd never watched it from beginning to the end. In no, I've probably seen it over a dozen times. Oh, uh, easily, yeah. You, you too. Yeah, totally. Um, so I want you to I want you to um, I want you to sing for me the Jaws theme, Ryan. The Jaws theme song. The Jaws theme song? Yeah. Da, 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 da. All right, Stephen, uh, Friday the 14th. No, Friday the 13th. <laughs> I said Friday the 14th. Friday the 13th. That's Halloween. It, no, nope. That's Friday the 13th? Yeah. Oh. What's Halloween? So it's so it sounds like... Killer mommy, killer mommy. Um, Halloween is... Okay, now, The Shining, go. This is the song for The Shining. Here it starts with a helicopter shot of a car driving through mountains. And it is all very pretty, but the music suggests otherwise. The interview. <laughs> Dink! Is that really the music? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, what I was going to say was, I thought the, like a lot of movies, I thought the score was quite dramatic. And at times, I thought the score was sometimes more dramatic than the actual filming of it. You know, I thought it was really it, it, it was so the score could be like at an eleven, while the the scene was like at an eight. Where you're like, oh, they're really ramping this up. But I I, I could not do what you just did. I, I could not yeah. hum back um, the shining song. So, full geek disclosure: I have an album that I bought twenty some years ago that was like. The best horror movie themes. And The Shining was on it. Yep. Who wrote the score? Wendy Corland or something like that. Huh. <clears throat> I think. Um, yeah, I, I love the opening theme. It feels very like 
well, this looks really pretty. Why does this sound so? It puts you in a mood of dread. Does the conductor in this in the um, recording studio ever like look at all the violinists and the percussionists and say, "Okay, guys, turn turn to number seventeen. Okay, this is the part where." And he explains. Well, they're them. watching it on the the screen. Yeah. You are. Yes. Yes. So they can feel yep. what's happening. I never knew that. Yeah, they're watching it on the screen. Yeah. So the the the, the music is always going to come afterwards. For the most part, I think. I think uh, Kubrick especially worked very closely uh, with composers. I think uh, Steven Spielberg does as well. Carpenter um, writes his own, knows Carpenter, what he wants. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it. Uh, I think it. Gives you the idea. I think the music definitely gives you the idea of what this movie is going to make you feel like. Yeah, you're not necessarily going to understand everything, but you're definitely going to have this feeling of dread and this underlying evil. I think. While we're talking about the music, this is a great way to start. The music is such a big part of the film. There's a lot of very high pitched things going on that feel disorienting. Um, a lot of skitters on strings uh, that always feel very kind of like spidery or like just icky. Um, sometimes there's there's uh, what do you call them like title cards used throughout the film of that are inconsistent because it's not just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's the interview. It's uh, Tuesday. Well, it goes down to one day basically is what it's. It does. It, yeah. it, it does a three months later. It does. It says another is title. It three months or one month? Whatever it is. But it, it keeps getting smaller increments. No, it changes. There's another one that's like, um, they're not all dates. There's something else besides oh, yeah, the eight a.m. There's eight a.m. and two p.m. I think on the last day. Yeah, or on three p.m. The second one is the uh, is it closing day or the move-in day? I can't remember. Closing day. The closing day. Yeah. But there's a few others, I think. Maybe one or two others. Yeah, I think there uh, there's a date, and then there's, I think, times after that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it gives you kind of an idea, like, this is where we are in this story because it jumps forward. But sometimes those title cards arrive blankly to no music. Sometimes those title cards are a jump scare sure. because there will be some kind of, dink, Tuesday. And you're like, ah, what's that about? Um, yeah. This takes place in a hotel. Uh-huh. The Overlook Hotel. And the people that usually go to this hotel are going there for a um, summer vacation? Yeah. And I guess there's stuff to do there around that area? I think area. they overlook things. Uh. <laughs> no, I mean, look at the location, how beautiful it was. and you There's know, no skiing because... Right, that's why they're closed in the wintertime. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's a summer thing. I'm sure there's like... Water sports. I don't know. What do rich people do? What's the, what's the setting in the film? It's, it takes place where in the film? Colorado. Colorado. And where is that hotel in Oregon? Yeah. And it's but they also filmed in not in America in, a, in the UK at a, a uh, I can't think of the name of the studio, but it's why UK. Studio. Uh, Kubrick liked working there. I think it has, mm, no, I think it had to do with the people. But what's interesting is the hotel. There's two different hotels, and he moved there too. There's two different hotels. It, the hotel's appearance changes because the two locations were different. But one's so kind of similar that it almost works. It like Is that what it looked like? It, it, well, because it's so dark. You don't re- yeah, it, it's very well done as far as that goes. The outdoors, though, I'm clocking. Oh, yeah. like, there's two different outdoors. Yeah. And I always took it as like, well, that's the front and that's the back. I don't know. It yeah. worked for me somehow. Well, yeah, uh, because it's big. 
Yeah, um, the the location. This all started. This, of course, one of Stephen King's first batch of novels. Um, and this came about from him staying at the Stanley Hotel, and that is a famous, still in operation uh, hotel. I'm not sure the whereabouts. I want to say Colorado. Maybe it's not. But he had some very eerie feelings while there, and wrote this story um, that that has become the basis. Or, or uh, ah, you're wearing your shirt. Colorado. You're wearing your you're wearing your shining shirt. It is in Colorado. <laughs> it is in Colorado. The Stanley. Yeah, for those you can't see this, but I am wearing the rug, a button-up shirt that is the pattern of the orange, black, and red carpet in the main halls of. The Overlook Hotel. I went the other one. The one in room 237? Yeah. The purple and green? That looked almost like it was phallic. Mm-hmm. Or like a keyhole. It is a keyhole, yeah. A naked yeah. lady. Yeah, it's a keyhole. But mm-hmm. it also look, kind of looks like a peacock phallic symbol. A peacock, yeah. Um, no. so, so, now that we've done music phallic? and... Phallic? Acid? Let's let's just go back to uh, the beginning. Yeah, the beginning is a car drive that looks like you don't want to run out of gas or run out of sandwiches. But it's beautiful, though. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. it's a twenty. Didn't say twenty something mile, twenty five mile. I thought it looked very. Road, I thought yeah. it looked very European. Sure. And I don't know why that is, except that it just looked like we were in Switzerland or something. So we cut back and forth between Jack, who is going for his interview. And Wendy Torrance and her son Danny, or Doc, and they're back in Boulder or somewhere like that. I don't where they had just moved to because mm-hmm. he got fired and all that. That whole interview scene with Jack Nicholson, it's very uh, uh, put upon. Do people talk like that, or did they talk like that? It's a very on the surface kind of job conversation, interview. job interview. Yeah. Uh, it is 1980. There was no internet. I think they probably did talk like that. Yeah. Um, it, and from the very beginning, you're like, Jack Nicholson is a dick. Well, that was part of Stephen King's... Stephen King famously disliked this film. Um, because he said it was like a nice car with... Or a, 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 a beautiful car with no engine. And he thought that from the jump, you were like, well, Jack Nicholson is in this. He's going to go nuts. He has no warmth or caring or loving in him. And the story very much is a story about a a father and son's bond and the love between them. And that's not in this film at all. Yeah, and that's much more between the mom and the son in this film. And I think it's them. And I don't know if Kubrick was trying to say his own thing. He's he's they were running away from abuse. I mean, and it's that that's the whole thing of how you something happens and it can be three years later. And you're still kind of never over it, and you're always thinking about trauma. It, the the trauma of it all. Is that everyone? Sure. I don't, I, I don't know. Now, I, is everyone running from something? Something. Right. I mean, can everyone see themselves in somebody in this film? Mm, I can't really see myself. I mean, even in this the way film. Wendy explains to the was it the psychiatrist that comes to A see doctor Danny? of some sort. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, even the way she explains how the arm being pulled up happens it's it's a very oh that's believable kind of thing but at the same time the reaction of the doctor says everything about this is not normal and as she's telling the story we're getting a little ahead of herself but as she's telling the story she's i think that shelly duvall does a fantastic job in this film 
somewhat unpopular opinion, I think. Oh, I think she's amazing. I think she, it's her movie. She is saying this, like, very pleasant, very, like, everything is fine. Her whole character, almost the first half, three quarters of the film, is like a veneer on top of damage, that she is the mom who keeps this family going, and it's just like, all right, we're going to do this. Everything's fine. Hey, hon, wouldn't this be a fun place to have some parties? Like, she is trying to keep everybody happy. Every mother in the world. And she is telling the story about this abuse and chain smoking. And you can see her hand is shaking like bonkers as she's very pleasantly talking. And the ash is like two inches long. And I don't know how her hand is shaking like that. And that ash isn't everywhere. But before we get to this, what happened that a doctor was called... The son, Danny, is brushing his teeth in the bathroom and he talks to an imaginary friend with his little finger who's called Tony. He's the little boy who lives in my mouth, is what he says. And he's having a conversation with, with Tony where Tony tells him that his father is going to get the job. He's going to call any second. The phone rings. He gets the job and as they're on the phone, Danny has some kind of attack where he's seeing visions of blood pouring in from an elevator and then the next thing you know Danny has passed out that's why the doctor's there what was your first thought about the finger talking Tony imaginary friend they call him Matt. What, what I think about the imaginary friend about Tony well it's almost a little funny at first but then when you kind of think about it it's a little disturbing because of trauma and like removing yourself from yourself so you can talk to somebody else. I mean, yeah, it's never it's never played for this is real until that moment, right? I honestly, yeah. I didn't think anything of it because I wasn't at the end of the film. So like most kids having imaginary friends, you just think, "Oh, okay. Yeah, this guy this one's just a little weird. It lives in his mouth." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think my younger brothers um, imaginary friends were Ponch and Timmy. Really, I, like like Ponch from uh, Chips. Chip, is it Chips? Yep. Um, is there is is there another film that has been ad adapted by a Stephen King novel that he has been unhappy with, uh, like The Shining? I don't think as much as The Shining. The Shining is the one. Yeah. Do you think he's going to try to redo it? They did. They, they did, did a miniseries, yeah. With Stephen King Stephen, yeah. Stephen Weber was uh, the Jack Torrance character. I don't remember anybody else in that movie. Rebecca De Mornay. Rebecca was... De Mornay, right, plays Wendy Torrance, yeah. Interesting. Hmm. And here's the thing. I was going to have us watch that as well. I don't think we need to. Is this kind of like Poltergeist? No. Is this kind of like The well, Exorcist? I, I think it's a little more like Poltergeist in that it is built on a Indian burial ground. That similarly remains. Um, and I, I, and that the fact that I don't think it's that the fact that it's on an Indian burial ground. I think that it's desecrated land, and because of that, there is evil. So I think there's a lot of colonialism in that as well, of saying you're going to come in and take over our land. If you're here, you're going to go through some shit because we don't want you here, and you shouldn't be here. And I'm not trying to school or anything here, but. The Exorcist is possession. Poltergeist is a poltergeist, a violent spirit that throws shit. Um, and this is 
something like that's a granddaddy of of all of that this is like a portal of hell almost where spirits just kind of appear they don't really fuck with anybody they're, they're not i mean not literally they're not touching, touching people right, yeah, sure, sure. they're just appearing and and like very disturbingly doing things but they're not uh, you know this isn't a ghost story where ghosts throw china or anything slam doors um it's just visions it's pictures in a book is is what they say um i will say the first time i saw this it was because i was a jack nicholson fan and a kubrick fan mm -hmm. and i fucking loved it as a as a young male and i would saw it through that lens but every time i've watched it through the years shelly duvall becomes the focus for the window me through everything of that movie goes through she she it's it's her film she gets better with each frame as the movie goes along, she's she is the glue that holds the family and the film together, in my opinion. And I think Kubrick knew that, which is why he put her through it. But she doesn't get credit. And he tortured her. Tortured her. Yeah. This was a thirteen-month shoot. What do you mean he tortured her? He well, he made everyone do like over a hundred takes on every scene. And she had to cry every single time, yeah. over and over. She and was over. losing hair. Has anyone like, talked to her about this? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, famously. She, she's open about it all? She didn't do a lot more films after this. I mean, she had, was already in her heyday yeah, a she little. Did. But, she, well, she didn't do many more. This was like, she did... She uh, did Poseidon Adventure. Popeye was the same year. No, was it 82? It was 80? It was, I think it was the next project or the one before. It was... Huh. But she, uh, and she did do some other things, but like, I think this really... Broker. It did. Yeah. It did. And there's a behind the scenes you can see on the DVD, whatever, that's a documentary of them making this. And oh, you, yeah. You can see how shitty. And also, though, in that same. She treats her. Well, that, but also you see Jack Nicholson very nurturing and, and helpful with Shelley Duvall. Like, very. It's, it, was, it was strange to see because you don't get any of that love feeling from him throughout the entire film. I never once believed. Anything he said about any caring for her or, or, or the, the son. Or the son. Never believed it. Is it necessary to treat actors that way? No. I don't think so, no. To get them to get to <clears throat> perform? But wasn't that the... Or was it like, we're not going to tell you why we're shooting I this? I think everybody has their own way. Clint Eastwood, one take. He'll film a movie, one take. He knows what he wants. He As a director? As a director. Oh, wow. One take. Is that because he's an actor? No, I think it's because he believes in his vision. He believes in his vision, and he believes in the act. And not always are everything so great. I mean, look at uh, the movie he did with uh, on the train about the the two Americans that um, stopped that terrorist thing. Remember that on the train in Europe? Munich? No, 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 no. This is this is like recent. Oh. Anyway, he did that film, and he cast oh, the two yeah, yeah, yeah. the two guys in it. And you can't do one take with those non-actors, you know what I mean? And I also, I mean, I don't know. If I was filming this movie, once again, you're not filming with that score, right? You're right. just filming, hoping, and praying. Well, this goes back to Jaws or any number of films we've tackled. Okay, so... When well, people, before people heard the score, people thought the, the movie, Richard Dreyfus famously was like, this is a piece of shit. The second they put John Williams' score to Jaws, they were like, oh. Star Wars, too. Yeah. Oh, 100% yeah. Star Wars, yeah. So there was a crazy use of the color red. 
crazy. Mm-hmm. She had on red boots. Different shades of red as well. She had on red, like a red shirt at some point. The red bathroom. Mm. Designed uh, by Frank Lloyd Wright. It was not on, st- they went somewhere for that bathroom. And there's also the pirate red, uh, red rum mm-hmm. as well. The, 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 the bloodbath, the Titanic scene where the ship is, the hotel is being flooded with blood. Yeah. What, uh, is, what is that? I, I think that, because uh, Wendy sees that, right? That's uh-huh. who sees that. Um, no one else does. Well, yeah, nobody else. No, 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 Danny sees it in his first it vision. Is, well, no, but not, he, the person it, it happens person to is his, mom. is his mom. And I don't know. I don't think any of the characters, I think all of the characters in the film are stand-ins or, or uh, you know, playthings for Kubrick. They're... They're not characters per se, but caricatures, because he's he's really giving over an emotion as opposed to, or a feeling as opposed to, uh, actual plot. Mm-hmm. So this blood is not a recalling of a certain incident in the past. No, I don't think so. This is a an emotional. This is how I feel. Um, one could argue, Kubrick when asked what this film really is about for him he said man's inability to change its pattern of violence and its cycles of violence over and over and again. by man you mean human human, human right exactly and so is this about the litany and legacy of years and years of murders blood the indian uh, yeah it's the endless evil the native american i'm sorry the yeah. native american uh the, the whole place is adorned with native american stuff like isn't this cool but Right, like, colonialism again. Yeah. We come in, we take over, we kill everybody. Bloodbath. We don't really care. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, is it the place itself? Is that what we're running from? What, On top of abuse. What do you mean? Our history. The, Our past. The shame. The, the shame. Sure. I don't know. I see that. Well, all the the characters are too. The abuse to Danny. They're all trying to just run away from it. Yeah. But then there's another layer. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers. Then they, there's a story given to us in the story, in the movie, about a guy who murders his family. At the very beginning. And, and, he, like, and it happens there. Yeah, it had hap- he was, it was basically the same job that Jack Torrance was interviewing for. And the <sighs> boss wanted to tell him that this happened because some people would be freaked out. Delbert by, Grady. Yeah, Grady. Because basically living through this winter... Time is sort of like living in the dark nights in Alaska. Well, yeah, and then he says to the interview guy, "Oh, my! What about your wife? Will she be okay with it? Oh, she's a horror buff, or whatever he says. She is she? He doesn't seem like the type. Although there are books, hundreds of books. Yeah, she's much more of a book reader. But she's reading Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, yeah. She is reading Catcher in the Rye. That's interesting. I don't know what Catcher in the Rye is about. Well, was it was it was taken off the shelves for a while, wasn't it? J.D. Salinger. Uh, J.D. Salinger is kind of a Kubrick in a way. He's like his own thing and like doesn't give a fuck what anyone thinks about him. And he's a recluse. Mm -hmm. So there were books all over the house before they went to the hotel. And in their hotel room. And then there was also books like when the the, um, psychology, psychologist woman was there that was like on the like, um, not coffee table, but at the end table. Just like books. And I wanted to see like, what are all these books? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think they're hers. But also he was a teacher. What was he Could a teacher of? Uh, I I don't think it's said. I want to say literature if he's a writer. Yeah. Um, but he also, we didn't touch on this, 
he lost his job because he got violent with a student. Yes. So is he that has, said in the movie? It is. Oh, okay. He has a pattern of abuse. And I. it's never mentioned if he ever did anything to Wendy, but I can't imagine that he didn't at some point. Yeah. I, at least <clears throat> verbal abuse. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that whole whole scene... We're just jumping all around. Just stay with us. You've seen the movie. It's old. Yeah, and if you haven't, like, why are you listening yeah, to yeah, this? Yeah, why are you listening yeah. to this? Go Wait, and watch it. We're not going to give back. you the plot. <clears throat> and we might be doing Dr. Sleep, but that's a whole other... We will be doing Dr. Sleep. Yeah, yeah. which is the, the sequel uh, that Stephen King wrote to his book, The Shining, but then the film really marries both the film, The Shining, and the book, The Shining, in a really wonderful way. So, but we'll talk about Mike that later. Mike Flanagan did the impossible directing that and putting Absolutely. that together. But yeah. anyway. Sorry. No, um, so let's talk about another character we haven't talked about yet. Uh, Dick Halloran, played by uh, Scatman Crothers. Was that your favorite performance in the movie? Scatman? Yeah. Who's he? Dick Sca- Halloran. Dick Halloran. The, the chef. The chef. The cook. Yeah. Well, here's what I love about him. You know, he was in several films with Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson got him that job. He was in, most famously, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack. And Jack pitched him to Kubrick for this role because he loved him. He was like, he would be perfect for this role. And they, they spent time together all, you know, while they were on the shoot, whatever. He was only there for a little bit of time. Um, but Scatman Carruthers brings this kind of... I mean, the character is the tropey, magical Negro, right? You know, which is... But I think he's the only person in the entire movie that I trust is telling the truth about everything. Yeah. Everybody else, I'm not quite sure if what we're seeing and what they're saying is real, but I don't... I don't ever question him. He has nothing to lose. I mean, he he knows. First of all, this is a person who has the shine, which is uh, based off of a song by the Beatles or somebody like that. Uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Shine on, um, and so that's why it's The Shining, where he he knows that Danny in that first tour of the kitchen or whatever, he can pick up the vibe that Danny can also shine. So he, it's like a clairvoyance. Yeah, it's like a telepathy thing. And you like, can kind of see things that will happen, but it's not visions. necessarily the, the truth. It's, it's muddled that can book. change. So yeah. is this why he goes back to the hotel? Because of his shine? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because he knows something's wrong. Because Danny reached, Danny out, reached to out to him through The Shining. I, don't, I missed that. So Danny was like on the bed shaking and like, like foaming at the mouth and showing these images. And then you saw Dick back at his home in Florida Which, with the wonderful art on the walls. I love it so much. Right? Of the beautiful African-American naked women with beautiful afros. And he's laying in bed watching TV and has all this broadcast to him from Danny of like, what is happening? And so he knows then, I've got to get there. Okay. It's so funny to me though because like, we're talking about The Shining. I don't think the movie The Shining is really about The Shining. It's kind of a, a secondary thing to what's going on in the film. where And I think that's why Stephen King probably was another thing he didn't like about it. Because it, it's just, it, it's not the point. So what is The Shining? The Shining is the ability, be, ability to see something that no one else can see. It's almost like Danny can see the situation of his parents' marriage and he can see something that they cannot. And is The Shining really about 
the bad things that someone else can see that other people can't. Right, 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 I mean, right. Because the emotion is so high and there's hurt involved in that, is that, is that really what it is? I, does Dr. Sleep go into that? Well, it does because Dr. Sleep then focuses on Danny and both uh, Dick Halloran, Wendy, and his father are revisited in different ways and he's still not over all of that. Yeah. And he ends, spoiler alert, his journey back at the Overlook. The Overlook, which is a, a phenomenal sequence. sequence. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to The Shining. Back to The Shining. Um, so Dick Halloran, uh, there's something really interesting about their conversation because he explains to him, Danny asks very direct, specific questions are you afraid of this hotel? And all of a sudden, Danny says, what's in room 2337? So specific. And Dick Halloran is like, nothing. And you shouldn't go near there. Well, and it's funny because I think Tony is... You is know, older him. Is Oh, that's right. That's what it is in yeah. Dr. Sleep. It's explained that Tony is really his older self in the future projecting helping back him. to his younger self right helping him so it's really his imaginary friend him, him helping him helping him from the future deal with the trauma that's going on so there's some like deep <clears throat> therapy sessions there deep therapy sessions yeah that he went through to kind of help his younger self I want to talk about the shot that I think is uh, indicative of what the film is okay go ahead and that is when Jack Torrance is you're starting to go crazy. Um, I mean, not crazy. He's starting to be uh, infected, let's say infected by the evil at the hotel, right? And he comes in and uh, Danny and Wendy are outside and they're going through the maze, which is just, I mean, have you ever been in a maze like that other than like a corn maze? I mean, it would be kind of scary to say, you know, unless you have hours to get through it, you know, and you don't have a phone to take a picture of it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? To get through it. Um, and he comes in and he sees the model of the maze. And he looks at it. And they're outside. And as he's looking at it, it gives a point of view shot of him looking down at the maze. But then you realize as it starts to draw back, you see Wendy and Danny inside the maze. And I think that's... it's It's... From like this God, this point, God of point of view. view, and I think it's these play things again. It, it goes back to like I don't know cutouts. What what are, what are the you remember the paper cutouts you do of people? Mm -hmm. And it's it's like it's almost like it's Kubrick too. You know, playing with these things that aren't really people. You know what I mean? And and you get that feeling that someone who is an abuser has that that mentality. To be able to do what they're doing... Like a colonizer. Like a colonizer. You cannot see who those people are. They're not people. They're playthings. They're playthings to do whatever you want to with them. Just a side note to that miniature shot of the maze with them running through that. Yeah. I really feel like Ari Aster, who has said he loves this film, yeah, yeah. was used that in Hereditary with the miniatures that she's creating throughout the... But that's another. I, I um I really hate that you just compared Kubrick to Ari Aster. No, I I'm think I think Ari Aster loves Played homage. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, clearly. Jack is a writer. Yep. Yep. What kind of writer? He was a teacher. 
teacher and a writer. We don't know what kind of writer he is because and we he also hasn't don't know written. what he what he's writing. No, and I even when we see what he's written, the it's, next great American novel. I think it's called Ichabod. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing that when when she reads it is just this over and over cycle. All work and no play makes, makes Jack, Jack a, a dull, dull boy. And what is that? Why is he doing that over and over? And I've, not only was he doing it over and over, but it was also specifically uh, in in um, uh, some some flaws. It was not exactly. It was the not. Same. Oh no! I don't think it was flaws. It was. It's how you would write a book if you were doing dialogue. In a no, dialogue. I mean he means it's not all perfectly uh, aligned. Or no. sometimes there'll be a misspelling. Yeah. Oh, or sometimes gotcha, it's in like gotcha. a, it's imperfect. Sometimes it's in a, a poem stanza. So this is my. Sometimes capitals were were different. It was like all different. There was all work and no play makes Jack a dull bod. At one point, like there's misspellings. I think. Speaking of bod, why is he looking at a playgirl? In the interview, or when he gets the it's job, it's the closing day. Closing day. Why is that out in the hotel? Why is there a playgirl? There in were the no, lobby? there were no other magazines to pick from. I and think listen, he brought it. And listen, no, I looked this up. Playgirl only in the first two years didn't necessarily have nudies in it. It didn't. Not in the first two. It was. Years. It, it, uh, it was just. But but it was just health articles. But. That was in the early 70s. This came out in 80, unless they're setting this in the early 70s. I that was naked men in there. It's very... It, but it, a woman was on the cover. Of course. Because women bought the magazine. And they didn't want to be embarrassed to have some hunky... This was transitional time before porn went to phones. I think it'd be you know? very important for this podcast. Yeah. For us to go back... And get that and issue. screen capture what that is and then see what's in it. Because I want to see what Jack is saying. Can we, we get that issue? Probably Burt Reynolds. No, that was the very first issue that they did nudity, right? Was Burt Reynolds? I think so, the, the centerfold. Yeah. yeah, the centerfold. We could really understand why he typed that. Well, <laughs> can I say something about why he typed that? I think that Jack... You're going to say what I, exactly what I'm going to say. ...is so mad that he had to stop drinking. It was the thing to do because he hurt the kid after too many drinks. And I think he said, Wendy, I'll never touch another drop again. And I think that he's so mad about it. And I think his shitty treatment to Wendy is exactly that, is the alcoholism. And when he goes and sits at the bar and says, I'll sell my soul for a drink, and then there's a bartender. I, I think that all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy is his constant inner monologue of like, alcoholism. Absolutely. Yeah. I hear that. And I will say yes and in my okay, so we know because we've read the book, Jack Torrance did have the shining, mm -hmm. but he suppressed it. Mm -hmm. Well, he so, didn't know what it was. He, he was did, so drunk it, most of the time. Exactly, yeah. and that's why he was drinking. Mm -hmm. So him, much like Doctor yeah, Sleep, him doing that, in my opinion, is that drawing in the evil and then putting that out and so he's sitting there doing what he thinks he's supposed to be doing and typing and typing this thing and that is allowing this meditation of you know what I mean by meditation like doing the same thing over and over again and, and letting something in yep. I think that and I think that the yes it was alcoholism but I also think it was the evil bleeding into what he was doing and that was his entrance and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and he, how, how many fucking hundreds of pages did he type 
And the reveal when she reads when that. She, I mean, just over and over and over and, and over. And her face processing it. Who could process? This is his. And then he's like, do you like it? <laughs> so, so the history of colonialism is sort of like this abyss. The hotel is sort of this abyss. The addiction is sort of this abyss. This labyrinth, this maze is sort of like this abyss. There's almost like this vacuum that's starting to line up with all these things that we're talking about. The rug patterns is like this abyss. It almost feels empty but so and full. crowded at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And is it is it does it all is it all layered like that on purpose? The addiction, the um I mean now I'm thinking is the entire thing about Addiction is this the opposite of rehab? Well, yeah, because I mean, if, uh, Stephen King will go into the book was an alcoholic and on coke and at he the time. At the time, he doesn't remember writing Carrie at all. At all, um, many books he doesn't. Remember, yeah. yeah, and so it's interesting. We and Stephen said this after we watched The Shining this time. The silence that is needed for Jack Torrance to work, not le- allowing that whole thing that he says to Wendy. Oh man, it's so fucking vitriol just spitting out whatever of Whatever the mouth. fuck you hear, and whatever it is, don't and come he in says, here. Now, can you just get the fuck, fuck out, out of here? Yeah, yeah. So that whole thing, and then Danny, and him, her not wanting Danny to go in there. Please don't don't make any noise. Don't make any noise, because you're going you're gonna to set him off. Goes back to the black phone. Written which by Stephen King's son, Joe Hill. Which is very interesting that you're getting these two different points of view from the father. And then the son. And then the son of the same thing. And for listeners who aren't familiar, in The Black Phone, written by Stephen King's son, the relationship between this son and his father, if there is any noise made, hell will be you know, brought. Um, it's and uh, if you haven't seen The Black Phone, go and watch it and then watch uh, listen to last season's podcast of The Black Phone that we did. Thank you, Producer Ryan. It would be really interesting and smart if Stephen King would write and finish the script that Jack is working on. (laughs) (laughs) And turn that into the film. (laughs) Well, okay, so this time... It's called uh, 1436 or whatever. 1430, yeah, 37. (laughs) Was that Sam Jackson and John Cusack movie too? Yeah, Yeah. it's about a hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually pretty we, we talked about this the other night, which is always tricky. After we watch something, we talk about it, and there's some really great things we talked about that we can't ever record or we didn't. Um, I know that I was looking at so much of the film in different points of views and things because there was just so much to look at. Every room, every shot is like, you know, it's like, um, it's not eye candy. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, just a, it's a landscape of its own. And so if you're looking at a picture or a painting of a landscape, there's so many different things to look at. We haven't even talked about the technical aspect of it. I mean, everything is symmetrical. But but what was your larger yeah, point? Yeah. My point is going back to like this abyss. When we're in the store, the fr- refrigerator, there's just so much shit to read. Heinz. Calumet. Yeah. When you're uh, what was it? Pimento pieces. Pimento Dang. pieces. Ten. When you're in the hotel, journeying along the little boy's little scooter thing. It's big wheel. Big wheel. Big wheel. Yeah, you are literally looking at so much. Territory. And can I just say, just a side note, 
I love the sound of his big yes. wheel on the floor, and then I love the absence of it on the carpet. Yes, it's amazing. amazing. So good. The sound design is is crazy. But once again, the the hotel makes the situation feel dwarfed, and it also makes it feel like it is a fucking mountain. And it makes no sense. The layout of the hotel makes no... And this woman tried to map it out in the documentary Room 237, which is... Don't watch it. It's cuckoo bananas. There are a few people who have some good points that are film historians, whatever. Then there's crazy people. But this woman tried to map it out just by watching the film, which was an interesting exercise. And she's like, it makes sense sometimes, and then sometimes the hotel does not make any sense at all. Which I think just adds to the, like winchester house kind of aspect of this place the winchester house is that house that famously like there are so many rooms and more rooms built upon rooms and people feel like more rooms keep appearing which is probably not true but the winchester rifle widow kept having rooms built anyway that's another podcast but it it much like the hotel winchester woman much like the hotel changing its appearance in the outside there is a nightmarish quality to it makes no sense when Danny goes and takes that turn and finds the twins from where he is. And again, I don't know if I trust was what he we're really seeing. there? Yeah, I don't I don't know if we I trust everything we see that the those three characters see. I don't know if if it's any of it's real. Let's talk about the twins real quick. Okay. It's not twins in the book. It's not. They're different ages. And they even mess that up in the text. They do. Yeah, because Grady says, Grady, who's, you know, in the red bathroom, says, I had two daughters, eight and seven. So they were auditioning kids, and they couldn't find anybody they wanted. And then this woman, this mother, brought in her twins, and they were like, oh, this is it. This is it, because this is creepy. And so the twins became, there are Funko figurines of the twins. The twins are synonymous with The Shining. They weren't in the book, whatever. But um, that had to piss Stephen King off, right? Come and play with us, Danny. But the mother says the same kind of thing in another scene about like, we're going to have so much fun forever and ever. And it's like a weird... I don't know. There's there's so many weird, fun things. But the twins are a kind of shit-the-bed moment of turning the corner, seeing them, and there's a gong from the soundtrack. And when you hear a gong, a big Zildjian gong, that's like, you're like, oh, this is important. What the fuck is this? Also, a fun tie-in, the movie Twister and The Shining. At the drive-in scene, one that's of what's playing. the second to last tornado, very bad one that happens at night, The Shining is playing, and the first scene that you see on the drive-in screen is the twins. The last scene you see when the tornado comes through the, the screen is Jack Nicholson coming through the door saying, here's, here's Johnny. Johnny. Yeah. Um, another side Which is note. probably one of the most famous poster pictures right is him him coming through that door absolutely yeah um look we're gonna take a quick pause and we'll be right back all right and we're back uh with the shining so 
Ryan, you wanted to talk specifically about the steady cam of it yes. all. So this, now, yeah. just a question for you before you what get into it. What is a steady it. cam? Uh, we're gonna ask him that, but also, this had been done before. You right? know what? If you can't hold the camera steady, it was fairly new. Okay, so tell us about it. It was so steady cam is uh, basically uh, I can't think of the guy's name that created it, but he was a cinematographer, and it's it just was a Francisco type... Steady. Is the name of the guy. Sorry. Are you just making it up? Uh, <laughs> it's a steady cam. Francisco <laughs> Steady. Steady. It's Italian. Um, anyway, uh, so he created something where you could move with the camera and the camera wouldn't shake. Because you wouldn't really get in, like unless it was like cinema verite, like documentary style, be able to get in without the camera moving. Do you right? wear it? Uh, yeah, I believe, I believe you do wear it. So it's kind of like a car with shocks? Yeah, because you used to have dolly shots. So the dolly shots on a track and you'd go down a set you've seen that in old films yeah you know and that's how they cut caught all of those things well the steady cam could do that and you can move anywhere you wanted to how'd they follow the kid around right so there's no track they the created shot, right? a new type of steady cam or the low shot or it's low something steady cam for this film so that you can be lower and still have the steady cam and, and follow on a uh, on that level um, so the steady cam shots in that the tech that I think Kubrick was so into the technology of it all, which is very Christopher Nolan. If anybody, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, was so into the, the technological side of things, I think there is a disconnect in the film because of that. And I don't know if it was intentional or not, but he was so more, he was more interested in the mood, the feeling, the shots than he was about the people, which. Anyway, I noticed much more this time, and that's why Shelley Duvall really, each time I watch it, just screams at the camera. So let's let's get to the Shelley Duvall Wait, again. Wait, I just want to ask one question. Give yeah. me a steady cam shot. Uh, Almost everything. The big wheel shots. The big wheel shots. All the big wheel Those shots. Those are steady cams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the shots that go across, and you know, you're getting a a, a steady view is attached to a person so it's not you know moving so you can get you can get into places where you couldn't with a dolly shot there was another type of shot oh the crane shot also would do that where you know, the camera was on the crane you can sit on the crane the crane moves um the camera so you know you're, you're not getting the the shakiness of the camera but but briefly to the big wheel shots are you not a child again mm. when you're Watching him explore because didn't we all do? Oh my that god, on the, a bicycle, maybe not a no, big on wheel. the big wheel. Oh my god, I had a big wheel. Oh, me too. Did you? Yeah, you did. I mean, are big wheels a thing anymore? Um, or are they now like scooters, like like three three I wheeled that's, scooters that's or the something thing like for that? The kids in the neighborhood. I loved my big wheel. Yeah. Loved it so much that when we moved, I was in ninth grade. You took a it fresh. We took it to Atlanta because I, I couldn't still write it but it was it was the adventure of my childhood so much like in another Stephen King book it was your silver yes from my it. silver book oh I thought you were about silver bullet no silver from it yes Bill Denbrough's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, bike so um, we were going to Shelley Duvall Shelley Duvall was I'm going to be so stupid here Shelley Duvall was already a sought after actress yeah, at she, this yeah. point and she already worked with I mean Altman a few times I believe before this I mean Three Women is it's the same kind of performance that she gives that you never notice 
What's interesting about Shelley Duvall is the camera loves her. The camera loves her unconventional beauty. Shelley Duvall is not a, a sex pot, a Marilyn Monroe. However, funny enough, Altman brings that out of her in Popeye as Olive Oil when she sings, she needs, uh, he needs me. And she is quite sexy doing that. And uh, it's so, the camera loves her face, loves her eyes, her expressiveness. There are times, knowing that Kubrick does hundreds of takes, I cannot believe sometimes that that CB radio scene with her and the police was hundreds of takes because she is just kind of but so let's talk real. let's talk about that scene because a lot of people disparage it as bad acting oh I don't God. think it is not at all she just learned this she was taught I felt she's like she never made, used this technology she was taught how to do this and then yeah. she's using it for the first time it's that first excitement I remember using a CB radio when I was a kid and like being told you have to say over like you have to do all of these things she's very much a kid herself yeah in a way um when she, I think she was caught in that trauma because she was probably married at a very young age to this guy, Jack Torrance, who was a dick. Yeah. And, like, so she's caught in this... But I think she's just so pleased as punch to talk to somebody else. And then, like, they have to talk back to her as long as she says over. And she says, like, gosh, this storm really is something. Over. <laughs> this is early texting. You know what I mean? Like, she is trying to figure it out and... She brought him breakfast. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah. It's 11 a.m. Brings it to him, let, lets him sleep in, and says, you know what? We've got nothing to do for 19 months. Can we take a walk? And he says, fuck off. We're <laughs> yeah. not taking a walk. I think I should probably work uh, and do my, do my thing that Although I'm here to do. Although, you see her doing his job. Exactly. She's down with a clipboard in the boiler room. Which is the, not what happens in the book. No. Yeah. He he very much the boiler room is a huge thing in the book that is not at all. <laughs> I in wish the, it was. The yeah. first time I saw the kid write red rum on the door with her lipstick, mm -hmm. I swear was the first time I saw a reflection. I saw a duality. I saw a mirror image in that word. I've seen that word done like that before. But for some reason it was the first time I saw I'm sure it's on purpose. Well, but I saw this like, oh, the the looking in the mirror, the duality. It's every time Jack Torrance sees something and is talking to someone, there is a mirror that he's looking in. Mm -hmm. Every single time. So are those people there, or is he just talking to himself? Okay, another question. The events of this movie are over. Wendy and Danny get to downside Wonder Hill, get to Dick Durkin. I think that's his name. Uh, the guy who rents the snowcat, the police. Uh, the, uh, the coach of uh, Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies. Thank you. The police go up there. What do they find? They clearly find um, Dick Halloran. Dead. Dead. Do they find uh, Jack? Okay, so there was an epilogue cut that, from the film. that was that was cut after the premiere. So the premiere happened. This epilogue was still in it. Can we still watch it? I don't know if we can watch it or not. I haven't seen it. I just know that it exists. Um, that was 
Wendy in a hospital talking to, I think, the cops and said that they did not find Jack's body. But we see at the movie that we know, it ends and Jack's frozen. So I think Kubrick cut it out because I think it was another thing of saying, uh, of giving you, uh, giving the audience too much information as far as solving this. I don't want you to have a... Right, because you had mentioned the 1921 photo. Oh, I forgot about all the photos. When you first, the first thing I recognized this time I watched this movie, there are photos hanging on every wall of the Overlook Hotel of all of the people that have been to this hotel over all of the years. 1907, I think, was when it was first built. So you, in you see all of these photos, but you never see it up close until the very end when you see Jack Nicholson, Jack Torrance in the 1921 photo at the party that he is whatever. July 4th ball. July 4th ball. So in the epilogue, if, if they say they don't find Jack's body, do you then make the step to say, well, Jack went into 1921. Do you know what I mean? Like he's, He was absorbed. He was absorbed by the Overlook Hotel. And so Kubrick cut it like after the premiere. He's, he's very... He's known to cut films even after they've been released. Matt, what was your reaction to seeing Frozen Jack? I laughed a little. <laughs> he did. He laughed. I think there's some humor in this that people don't really see. Well, uh, I mean, it, might have been, it might have been even nervous laughter. Is, it, I don't know if it was like haha. No, he he did look a little. I mean, Jack has this beautiful. I mean, I if, if there's many people I think I would want to meet, but man, I'm not a follower of Jack Nicholson. But man, he really he plays some fucked up shit, doesn't he? This he was really nine, and you know what? Nine years before he played the Joker. Yeah, but nothing enough. he does in this film is unbelievable. It all is believable. It absolutely. And she actually is... Be- they're all believable that they would go from zero to a thousand. Right. I mean, she did start the whole uh, Prancer walk. Uh. <laughs> the sequence when it does feel very Scooby-Doo, where like she goes to the ballroom, there's blue light and cobwebs and skeletons, feels very Scooby-Doo, right? Um, and she's running with her arms kind of around... Like a Muppet. Shoulder... It's a little... That's the one time that I'm like... I don't know, though. People run like that. I've seen people run like that when I... When they're in distress? No, no. When I was a kid, you know, you watch, you know, you you do these running exercises in school or whatever. There were people that ran like that. They didn't know how to run, and that's fine. That's fine. And I think it was a choice. I don't think that... I don't think that... What's her name? Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall runs like that in real life. What about the dog suit person blowing the person who looks like George Bush or Nixon. That was the owner of the hotel, right? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I think, again... That room is extra. I think think that all of the visions, again, whether or not we're actually seeing what is actually happening, because I don't know if we believe these people in what they're seeing, but if it is, it's all of these taboos and evil that we all think about that really isn't evil because there, there was nothing scary about that 
It's just weird. It's just weird. It's just it's just uncomfortable. And I think that that's kind of the point. Let's talk about some other ghosts real quick. There's the guy who has a drink and says, "Lovely party," and his head is split at top. Then, Lloyd. Then there's uh, Lloyd, the bartender. Then there's the woman in two three seven. This is a thing. Uh, she is gorgeous to Jack, and then he kisses her, and then she turns into a bloated dead body of an old lady with scabs. It's horrific. Uh, and then they rewind the frame where she's like coming out of the bath again slowly. That woman, if you go to that ballroom scene where he gets the advocat spilled on his jacket, she's at that table right in front of where that happens. That actress. Interesting. So my question is this. What's avocado? What is avocado? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> is it is it made from avocado? I don't know. They say cre- cream of avocado. What the fuck is that? Cream of avocado. Ad- mm. With the O? I don't know. I don't know. That's why I was saying is it an avocado But the avocado next drink? event is the fish and goose soiree. Tell me what that means. Yeah, right. What is a fish and goose soiree? I don't know. Another thing you said earlier, what are the activities they uh, you're do? Talk- you're pointing at Matt. I'm saying Matt... You said earlier, what are the activities they do at the Overlook? On closing day, I don't know if any of y'all caught this, there's an A-frame, like an easel with a board on it that says something like picture walk. And if you zoom in, it's like take a walk around the property and take pictures of things that, you know, you like. And I think that keys back into Dick Halloran's It's Pictures in a Book. So this whole thing, and the pictures all over the walls, you all were, yeah. over, uh, all over. I I don't think I've ever noticed, and maybe I have. I'm 46 years old, and I've done a lot of things that make me forget things, but I don't think I've ever noticed the, the framing of all, all the photos. I've never. I, I don't think I've ever. It's so prevalent throughout the entire hotel. Yeah, and it's it's literally pictures in a book like Dick Halloran said and I've never put that together mm-hmm. okay um, um, the ending photograph is July 4th yeah 1921 just a, just a quick random question is there anything in the hotel sequence memories anything at all is there anything that flashes back or s- shows a July 4th anything I think that's the party that's the party in that's the where, room. yeah that's why he's seeing that I just wanted to point this out Lloyd, the bartender, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys noticed this last night, is the exact same color jacket as he is. As Jack is. And that's why I think when he, because he's looking at a mirror behind the bar Mm -hmm. that he's talking to himself. Sure. He's seeing what he wants to see. He's seeing what he wants to see. And being told what he wants to be told. You're a good person. Your, Your money's no good here. You're a good guy. We've got you. It's been three years, mm-hmm. and she still blames me. I mean, the whole thing with... Has it been three years? Because she said three months. Who did? Wendy in the beginning. It's been three months without a drink. Or five... Oh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about... Oh, the incident. The incident with the with Well, the I thought he went sober after the incident. Oh, that's true. I think he said three months. I don't know. I think he said three years. I, th- I think he said th- it's been three Maybe years. Maybe that's how it felt to him. Interesting. That's interesting. That's Another a- thing about that that is interesting, he asked for bourbon, 
They pour Jack, Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels, yeah, <laughs> totally. That is not bourbon. No. Well, it's 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 uh, Tennessee bourbon whiskey. Right, but yeah, it's an interesting like. Okay. I'm pouring Jack for Jack. I guess. Uh, the Advocate is a Dutch alcoholic beverage made with eggs, sugar, and brandy. It's usually mixed with like a a, a whiskey. So it's kind of it's kind of in the eggnog family a little bit, like a a thick eggy thing with um. Sounds disgusting. The cur- well, not really. If you think about it being oh, it it sounds disgusting. You've never had like eggnog, <laughs> real eggnog. I'm not a fan. Not a fan. I thought it was avocado. Has anybody created a drink no, of avocado? No, the the the, the, <laughs> avoca- the reason it's called that is because it's probably the Dutch, which sounds kind of German, is. Advocatenboro, Advocatenboro, which means lawyer's drink. So maybe it was something that was famous at the time. For I heard today that eggs no longer have cholesterol. Yeah, is that true? Well, if you get cholesterol-free chicken. No, I was. I, I'm, I'm not even fucking lying. I don't know. I literally heard today that that eggs do not have cholesterol. It's an old wives' tale. I'm so sorry. Eggs have gone back and forth. <laughs> For fucking my entire life. I don't understand. They're good, they're bad, they're, they're good, good, they're, they're bad. bad, exactly. And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no cholesterol they're in eggs. They're $6, they're $7, they're $3. What is they're it? They're $20 now. Yeah. No. <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to The Shining. I will say, watching The Shining all the way through, it was not the horror film that the clips make it out to be. Sure. I think watching the film all the way through in one sitting, as is, which is the way I think films are meant to be watched... Um, <laughs> it it created more of a, a a psychological painting and a psychological drama that was not really a horror film. Clearly, it's a horror film. Oh, uh, I don't but, know. But it's more of a. I don't think it is. Okay, you know, I, I I could agree. I but I think that people think that it is, and I think that's the problem because Stanley Kubrick makes art films. I was gonna just tackle this real quick. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick was already a master at this time. Barry Lyndon was the prior film. That depicts, Is that the guy in the boat? Yeah, depicts a bored genius. And I think he wanted to do something to shake things up. He wanted to make a horror film. This was his idea of a horror film, but it's not a horror film. It's a mosaic of things that he finds horrific about human history. And he found that he was, uh, when he wanted to make a horror film, I looked all this up on Wikipedia so you know it's true. Um, I mean, his, I pay them. So. His assistant do you? was do. bringing him books of horror books. And he, the assistant said, I would hear thunk on the wall because he would read the first five pages and throw it against the wall. Thunk. And then he got the shining. And then he came out of the office and was like, oh, this is it. Have you read it? Oh, yeah. Have yeah. you read it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Like three times. Thick? No, no not bad. Not at all. Not, not, I mean, it's not it or uh, the stand long by any no, means. No, no, no. No, but he read this from cover to cover in one sitting and was like, oh, this is it. This is the story I want to tell. And I'm going to tell you. he had bronchitis it. ever when he was reading it? <laughs> if, yeah. Yeah. Could you? I mean, do you know what I mean? Like you're sitting down, you're reading, you might be a little bit sick. You kind of get into this like mood of things. I think he really read the book and was like, I see 
what I can. People. I like no, I see what I can do with this. Yeah, and that's why because Stephen King is a is a great writer. <clears throat> Stephen King can be interpreted so many different ways. I think like Shakespeare. I think you could do so many different things, which with all of his stories, because he, to me, the beginning, middle, and the classic struggle that he does where people have problems with Stephen King they say he sometimes has diarrhea of the word processor I don't think so I love his character like depth that he goes into with everybody I don't find the stand too long I don't find it too long I sometimes find the shining too short I want more I want to know more of his inner workings I don't find him pulp I don't find him um, fashion of the day. This man has been with us for most of our lifetimes. Oh, what, 50 years? Who, Stanley? No, uh, Stephen King, creating these worlds that we're still talking about. That there are shirts made of the carpet that somebody made a film of. Well, the world of isolation, Mm -hmm. I think, can be so tangible to everyone. No matter how deep that is, especially over the past three years, you go to college and you're you're you don't know where you are. You 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 leave college, you don't know who you are. I mean, there's so many moments of that, and with that, um, I just feel like the isolation in the film of them going there as a family, but then also seeing their own individual isolation of who they are as people. It's just fascinating that you would create such a movie with so many different possibilities that possibly is done on purpose that you're not supposed to well, know I mean, so much. Yeah, and, and going back to Kubrick, like so, he wanted to make his horror film. So prior to this, he did Barry Lyndon. So what? But he, that's not a horror film. No, no it's not. No. But this, this was this his only horror film. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, Eyes Wide Shut's kind of a horror film. No, uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> That's where the piggy guy comes from. <laughs> no. So, so Barry Lyndon, again, this is all about uh, things that are are open to be able to be filmed or whatever, and and his, and his uh, drive to to make art. So with Barry Lyndon, he did it all in natural lighting. So this takes place in what the 1700s, mm-hmm. Barry Lyndon. So he's like, I want to do historical epic. And he does. Like the indoor scenes, because there's no electricity, are all filmed with candlelight. Um, let's go to 2001. 2001, he worked with Arthur C. Clarke. As Arthur C. Clarke was writing the book, while he was making the movie, and if you read the book and you read the and you watch the movie, the book is much more like, this is what happened. You watch the movie, you're like, what? The very ending of 2001, <clears throat> one of my favorite movies of all time, you're like, what? what? What's going on? And you know, and that's the Earth and the embryo. And the embryo. And you think about it, and then you have all of these different kinds of ideas of what this means. Full Metal Jacket is the same way. Definitely a two-act film where you get the the boot camp and you get them in Vietnam. And there's all of these things. What is this, what is he trying to say? You get uh, Doctor Strangelove and or How I Learned to Love the Atomic Bomb, uh, which is a comedy. So he's he's loving film and making film and creating things and challenging himself and challenging the audience and I don't feel like anybody 
I don't want to see anybody. There's not a lot of people that do that nowadays. They're afraid to make something that is going to make people confused. Right. That's why I think Nolan is so popular now. I mean, even Tenet, which is Nolan's uh, movie that people are like, I don't understand what's going on kind of thing. It's completely simple to me because Nolan is is a time whore and I loves also- time argue Ari Aster, especially with Bo's Afraid. I just, I do I kind of want to see the film with the uh, genius guy in a boat. Oh, Bear Landon? I kind of want to see that. It's a very dry film. But there's a lot of comedy as well. Um, the Lord Bullington rule where like, oh, I don't want to, I won't, I won't say anything about that, but like, as far as what happens within the film and the, it, it, there, there's, it's an interesting film. I think it's a, a, a phenomenal film. But again, there's an emotional aspect, which is very Nolan, that people always say Nolan and Kubrick don't really have emotion in their films, like human emotion, of, of how we go through life and deal with love and, and everything. I showed you Interstellar the other night, right? Would you say that that film had no feeling or emotion in it? Um, no. Right. Watching The Shining, would you say there's no feeling or emotion in it? No. Not, do you understand it, but do you have a feeling of it? And anyway, yeah, The Shining is looked at as a fucking masterpiece, but I think there's a lot of things you can pick apart about it. And I think I can understand why somebody doesn't like it. Yeah. But it is a classic. It's a classic for a reason. It's inspired Scorsese, uh, Astor, many auteurs that... Are still creating today. Ari Aster is not a notor. Unpopular opinion. I uh, know it's a popular opinion. Your your opinion is mine is not. I I think Ari Aster is great. Um, well, I'm I'm gonna give it five stars. I give it four and a half. I'm um, not rating this because I wasn't <clears throat> assigned to do that. I'm just talking about The Shining. I love it. Um, thank you all for listening to our Shining kickoff of Spooky Season. We have many other things to talk about, and we'll get to them uh, as we can. And Doctor Sleep will be coming up, so watch The Shining and then Doctor Sleep. Yeah, if you've not watched Doctor Sleep, y'all, get it together. Watch Doctor Sleep. If you have three hours to watch the director's cut, highly recommend. Do it. it. Do it. It's worth it. All right, we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Shining, our version. My gosh, uh, this movie is such an incredible film. Uh, So many great visuals. We loved watching it. We're going to get into Dr. Sleep next. Yeah. Um, We loved watching all of this. And thank you so much for listening to us. Again, if you want to support us on Patreon, it's all there in the podcast notes. You can uh, learn more about us visiting www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an ER. Find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon. Connor Smith, again, Connor with an ER. Rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Share it where you share things. Post it where you post things. We love it. And we are starting the spooky journey with you of October. It's going to be a fun ride. We love you all. Thanks so much. 
拜。Bye.